Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host Cody Kitchen sits across the table from Dr. John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. Welcome to Upon Further Review. I'm your host, Cody Kitchen, and joined with me is Dr. John Hall. Good afternoon, everyone. We are continuing Luke chapter 14, verse 16 through 24, with the title of the message, A Bunch of Committed No-Shows. My true question really is, how long did it take you to find this title? <laughs> yes. First of all, I, I spend a ridiculous amount of time working on my titles. Yeah. Sometimes I just need to move on. This one was a good one. Maybe my appreciate, favorite. Appreciate that. It was good. Yeah, I did spend some time on that one. <laughs> well, as you prepared this message, what are some things that came to mind? Well, a couple of items. Um, first of all, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention how much I appreciate the privilege that is mine to preach to the people of this church because uh, they are so patient with my style of preaching, which is text-driven, expositional, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, chapter by chapter, and I'm really committed to preaching through books of the Bible. And I think it takes a rare church that can suffer long. Uh, Hopefully it's not suffering in the definitional sense, but I'm so appreciative to have the privilege to preach in this church to this body of people. So that was the first thing that came to mind because we're in Luke 14 and the passages we're considering are challenging, confrontational. You know, it's, a, it's like a weekly gut punch right now where we are in the text. And then secondly, I, I'm so blown away by the relevance of the Bible. I can't believe that Americans and evangelicals are losing confidence in the Scripture. I just, I've been reading this um, very intense deep dive survey put together by Ligonier Ministries with Lifeway. And they do this uh, survey every two years. They kind of take the spiritual temperature of our culture as well as the church. And there's a diminishing return uh, that seems to be consistent relative to what those outside the church believe about the Bible, and then heartbreakingly so some of the parallels that we're now seeing in the church. So I'm grateful to be a part of this church that doesn't seem, as I assess it, to have lost any confidence in the Word of God. Mm. And, man, the day we lose confidence in the Scripture, game over. Right. Uh, the power is in the Word of God. Man. Yep. Preached and lived. Right. <laughs> You gave us three principles to help us unpack this parable on Sunday. The first was the invitation, the second was the excuses, and the third was the response. And so you first explained the invitation in verses 16 and 17. You explained that a wealthy man invited many guests to this great banquet, and being invited was obviously an honor and privilege. And so the ones who received accepted the invitation, and when everything was ready... The ones invited were notified and the banquet was going to begin. You say, quote, as you might expect in this parable, the pre-invited guests refer to the people of Israel. So for those that might not know, 
Could you expand on why it is significant that this parable refers to the people of Israel? That's a great question, and I wish you hadn't asked me that. <laughs> um, most people know who are listening to us. I suspect there's a, a level of just basic, maybe even advanced knowledge of the Bible and where the parables are concerned. Many of the parables the Lord spoke were directly and even indirectly being spoken to the Jews, Israel. And God had sent his son to them. We know that God, of all the people groups in the world, chose to enter into a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. You will be my people. I will be your God. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will discipline you. And the cycle went on and on and on throughout the history of Israel as it's unfolded in the Old Testament. And then he sent his son, which was a fulfillment of all the prophet prophecies. In fact, I did this study just this week, actually last week, on how all the prophets, all the prophetic books that we have in the Old Testament, everyone, whether it was a minor prophet or a major prophet, in some way speaks of Christ. It's incredible. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this in a couple of months when we get to that message. And so God sent his anointed, his promised uh, Messiah to them, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and they missed what was right in front of them. In fact, it's worse than just missing it. They outright rejected him. And so I think in this parable, it, it's, a, it's a clear signaling to Jesus' audience that you people were pre-invited and you even embraced the invitation, accepted it. And then when I showed up, you bailed. <laughs> you bunch of committed no-shows. So I don't know what's worse, committing and not showing up or not committing at all. Mm. And we've all done it. Right. I'm guilty as charged. So I, th I think that's what's at play here. Uh, Jesus is making a subtle and even not so subtle statement to his audience about God's sending the invitation. You accepted this. You've longed for it. You've cried for it. You begged for it. You got it. And then you bailed, rejected it outright. Crazy. That is crazy. Yes. And from this side, it's really crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. Obviously, because we have scriptures. We, we believe what Jesus said. And I couldn't imagine being in the feet of some, some of the Jews even of mm -hmm. seeing that, hearing that, and then realizing mm -hmm too so it's, it's interesting to get that perspective of it so thank right. you mm -hmm. the second point was the excuses you started off by explaining what an excuse was and how each person in this parable makes an excuse to not come to this banquet there was one that said he bought a field one who bought five yoke of oxen and one who says he had married a wife and your point to each, each excuse was that they were lame <laughs> And that they did not make sense. Each excuse was lame because they were a bunch of committed no-shows. My favorite excuse was the wife one, by the way. <laughs> yeah, everybody liked that one. <laughs> but they committed to being there and made a lame excuse and did not show up. And in your conclusion of your sermon on Sunday, you make the statement that we are these people as well. 
that we often fail to keep our commitments, that it's easy for us to judge them or easy to point fingers, but we are these as well, the ones who make excuses. So my question is, why is it so important to keep our commitments related to this parable? <laughs> I can't believe you're even asking me that. <laughs> One of those softballs. I mean, a three-year-old can answer that. You wanted a softball. I'll give so. it my best shot. <laughs> well, when you pause to think about it, we really are the sum of our commitments. And I think about the commitments that I've made over my lifetime, the ones that have really mattered. I think of my commitment to my wife, Beth, and the commitment I made to her in the presence of the Lord, her family, my family, our friends that gathered at First Baptist Church of Beeville on December 22, 1990 to bear witness and rejoice and celebrate in our committing our lives to each other with Christ as the strand that binds us together. I think about the commitments I've made to my children to be their father, to be sober-minded, to love them, to protect them, to guide them and shepherd them. Um, that commitment has completely defined who I am along with my commitment to to Beth, but the most defining commitment of my life has been the commitment I've made to Christ, the salvation he's given me, and then his call upon my life to be a preacher. And I feel a deep sense of obligation to honor all those commitments. Is it easy all the time? No. Do I want to bail on them sometimes? Yes. Um, but with God's grace and help, he gives me what I need to fulfill those commitments. And I think our greatest commitment is the one we make either to follow Christ and receive him or to walk away from him and reject him. And we're also the sum of the commitments we haven't kept. <laughs> so when we make a commitment, we have to be willing to keep the commitment, I think, before we make the commitment. I, I can't make a commitment to Beth and then five years later go, you know what, I'm not feeling it anymore, <laughs> and bail. I don't have that out. And I think all of us would benefit from resisting the world's... The world says, you can exit your commitments. You know, you're on this highway. If you feel like you need to get off the, that highway, just exit walk away from that commitment. Some of the commitments we make, we just cannot walk away from. Now, it's different than playing in a fantasy football league. Sure. You know, if I need to bail on that because it's taking time away from other things that matter, and I need to bail on that, I don't feel so bad about that. <laughs> but right. you, you don't get the luxury of walking away from your wife, your family, your Lord, your calling. And so I think it's uh, – it's super critical that we honor the commitments we've made in our lives, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. You know, and this is fresh on my mind just because I've been studying it, especially this past week as I prepare for the sermon, is, you know, a man other than Jesus, obviously, is the perfect one for commitment. But a man who I think was committed was, was Paul. Mm -hmm. And we get to see all through Scripture his true commitment, and at least what the letters that we have received from him to the churches that he sent them to is that, even through being in prison, he was committed to the mm -hmm. gospel. And he knew what was going to happen 
he knew inevitably he was going to die because of the gospel, because of yeah. his belief in the gospel. Yeah. But he was so committed to it. And I think where there's so much to learn from that, especially as an American Christian, mm-hmm. <laughs> just because we, I don't, I don't think we know truly of that feeling of being in a prison cell because of the gospel Mm -hmm. and knowing that you could be dying because of the gospel. Yeah. And I'm not putting us down. I'm not saying that. I'm just in general. Right. I think just that's a commitment that I don't Mm -hmm. think if any of us truly. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Paul is certainly an example worth considering. Um, We talked about it a couple of weeks ago in Rut. Which is our Tuesday morning men's Bible study. We meet at six thirty. Yeah, small plug. Talked about Romans nine fifteen. I think oh. it was where, I think it was, where Paul talked about his remarkable willingness to set aside his own salvation if it meant the salvation of his countrymen. Yep. Dude, that's commitment. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things I'd give up, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd give that up. It's a tough one. And when Paul says that. It's a showstopper for me. In, in fact, I spent a whole Tuesday morning on that one verse trying to drill home to the men that came. Man, now that's, that's remarkable. Paul is hes in a class by himself when you get right down to who's in, who's out. Yeah. And, and in the Christian church today, and I know it's a, this broad stroke, but... There, there are quite a few who, man, they, they have no problem being a fan of Jesus, but following him, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of commitment. Yeah. We are the sum of our commitments. Absolutely. You're right. And not just to, not to keep beating a dead horse, but I do think, I think of just in my younger years, I appreciate, especially my mom and dad who drilled in me that my commitments even as small as something of not being able to quit a sport that i absolutely hated mm-hmm. that you committed to it you're going to do it and i yeah. appreciate that yeah good for them mm-hmm. i think it it instilled in me how important my work my yes as jesus talks about my yes be yes my no be no and mm-hmm. not saying and putting down people that don't but i just think that our culture especially now it's a bunch of committed no-shows mm-hmm. and not just which the most important is yes in the church, but even just in life, mm-hmm. which unfortunately <laughs> bleeds into the church. Yes. So I think it is something, and I appreciate the message Sunday because I think it's something that we all struggle with mm-hmm. in some way, and something we need to be aware of. Yeah, so. it, it was a, it is a passage of scripture that, when you look in the mirror of that text, you only see yourself. Mm. Absolutely, that's scary, but yeah. <laughs> And your last point, a great transition, was, was the response of the master. And you brought to our attention that the initial response of the master is he became angry, rightfully so, in my opinion. And he also tells a servant to go out to the streets and in the city and city and bring the, the people, the, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And the servant did so, and there was still room. So the master told him to go out and compel people to come in. You explain that compel means not by force or violence, but by earnest persuasion. I love that definition. And you explained on Sunday that this parable had special special implications for the proud Jewish people. And we see in Acts, as you talked about, that the gospel invitation would eventually go out to the Samaritans and Gentiles, which means you and I. You also pointed out in verse 24 that Israel was now shut out of the banquet. 
So my question is, in all of that, is can you explain that? Why was Israel now shut out? <laughs> right. That's another really good question. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give a short answer to this question. Um, I think it is demonstrative of the reality of how foolish it is to reject, to decline God's gracious offer of salvation. That God has given the offer of grace and to reject that has profound consequences. It means to be shut out from God's blessing, uh, having a seat at the table, being invited to the family gathering. And by family, I mean those who are in the Lord, those who have been born again, those who have been adopted into God's family. And to reject that, to move away from that, to decline the offer, to walk away from God, I just, I don't, I can't come up with anything that seems more foolish and catastrophic than that. And there, there, obviously there were a, a large segment of, of the Jewish population during the time of Christ that they refused to believe what Jesus claimed to be, and they, they sought to crucify him for it, accused him of blasphemy, subversion of the nation. He, he claimed to be God. They were, they were ready to take him out. Yeah. And we see that consistently in the, in the gospel accounts. So the long and short of it is it's foolish to reject, to decline God's gracious offer of salvation that comes to us through Christ. Works for me. <laughs> Sounds good yeah, to me. Yeah. <laughs> like you said earlier, a lot of commentators, they don't even touch that. <laughs> <laughs> so what am I doing trying to answer it? <laughs> Well, as we close, John, what are some final thoughts? Give me some last words. Oh, man, this was such a personal message for me. Just, a, I think, a poignant reminder to keep my commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate it when I don't. Um, yeah. I had to call a, a dear friend of mine Sunday night or text him rather and just say, I can't be there tomorrow. My Monday just got very complicated, and you know I hated that, but it couldn't really be helped. My Mondays are so crazy. Um, but the long and short of it is, we we have to keep those commitments, man, that are for all the marbles, and we all have to sort out what those are. Yeah. I think it's pretty easy, you know. You go the Lord, your family, your vocation, your friends. Those are, those are pretty easy to identify. Now, how that's expressed is kind of another thing, and it's very contextual for all of us. But keep your commitments as best as you can and ask for God's help when the going gets tough. Amen. Because all of us, I think, reflexively, we bail. When the going gets tough, we, we abandon ship. It's easy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, that's good words. Thank you for that. And so now we'll finally get to everyone's favorite part. <laughs> yeah. never gets tired. I never get yeah. tired of saying it. That stupid segment. So, John, what do we got today? (laughs) Well, I mean, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Tom Brady. Mm. Tom Brady's 45 years old. He's in his 23rd season in the NFL. And he's still playing at a relatively high level in professional football. Tip of the hat. The big boys. Tip of the hat. He's the GOAT. Yep. Um, 
no matter what you think about him, whether you root for him or not, he is arguably at least always going to be in the conversation of the greatest quarterback of all time, although I personally think Joe Montana is. <laughs> and I'll go to my grave thinking that. But uh, Sunday, they, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans where Tom Brady has never won as a Buccaneer. And so evidently there is no love lost between those two teams. No. And they went at it on the field. And they, they were really frustrating Brady. That coach, Dennis Allen, of the Saints, he has Brady's number. Mm-hmm. Brady, it didn't matter what Brady did. He couldn't complete a pass. They couldn't advance the ball. They couldn't get in the end zone. And Brady was getting <laughs> aggravated. I'm putting it nicely. Mm-hmm. So the camera uh, cued in on him at one particular point in the game. It was deep in the game. And he had a miserable series. He came off there. He threw his helmet on the ground and tossed one of those Microsoft Surface Pros on the ground. It was a full-blown adult hissy fit. (laughs) And I thought to myself, the guy is a gazillionaire. He's the greatest of all time. He is arguably one of the most worldwide recognized athletes. He can't go anywhere. I can go anywhere I want. Nobody knows who I am. He can't go anywhere. Right. And not be recognized. I can't imagine that kind of life. I don't want that kind of life. I'm quite happy being anonymous. So I, I don't get, you know, I can't appreciate fully his life. But that stunt was stupid. It was stupid. It was stupid. And it pains me to see grown men who are, whether they want to be or not, they are role models for our young athletes. And when you see a guy like Tom Brady who gets all the attention, all the glory, Good and or bad, and he he does that kind of thing, and that's stupid. And I'm sure he may not admit it, but he probably knows that. Oh yeah, I, I, he's not going to text me today and say, "Hey, you're right. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for identifying that on your podcast for all 20 people that listen to you." But I know you have some thoughts about what you saw during that game because we've talked about it this week. Yes, we got uh, you know it's uh, it's frustrating, especially. When you uh, are a fantasy football player, it's even more frustrating when you have uh, people who obviously doesn't care, don't care about your lineup, specifically talking about Mike Evans, <laughs> who is also on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers mm-hmm. and is one of Tom Brady's top quarter, mm-hmm. or, uh, receivers, throws to him a lot. He also has some beef, has always had beef since he's been on the Buccaneers with the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. And... Something was said to Tom Brady. Tom Brady said something back on one of the plays, and so they kind of got in a little talking argument. And all of a sudden, Mike Evans <laughs> comes running from the sideline and pushes. I don't even know who. No, I think it's Lattimore. Yeah, Lattimore. Pushes him, and they get in a little scuffle. Mm-hmm. Now, you tell me. You're not even involved in the thing, and you're on the sideline, mm-hmm. and you just see a little scuffle. So you decide the best option mm-hmm. is to just go ahead and truck. Yeah. This guy. It's that kind of thing, as you say, these little temper yes. tantrums. Yes. Um, with all jokes aside about fantasy, just in reality of, I don't want my son watching that. Yes. Because I don't think anybody would. And to yeah. me, that's stupid. It's royally stupid. But With a capital S. We still watch it. We still watch. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I'll tune in next week. Oh, me too. Yeah, it's a bunch of gladiators out there acting like eighth graders. Well, uh, With no offense to all the eighth graders who listen to our podcast, but... <laughs> 
I'm sure there's uh, many. I'm sure there are, and <laughs> probably be more after this week. But yeah, that that kind of stuff is just beyond stupid. It you get stupid. you're getting you're getting a big game check. You know, act be a professional, man. Yeah, you're playing in front of millions of yeah. people. Yeah, you know, get your get your act together. There's bigger bigger things to be angry about, in my opinion. No doubt, no doubt. I guess it's not me. Well, yeah, that's stupid. That is stupid. Guys, as always, we're so happy that you join us and appreciate it so much. And we, we ask, as we always ask, to end this session, remember, make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Have a great week. Peace out. Thank you all for listening. And be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at info at fieldstreet.com. Thanks for tuning in.